We're going we're gonna to talk about something today that I really, if, if nap time sometimes happens right now, <laughs> don't go to sleep on me now. Uh, we got a very, very important thing to discuss. Last week we looked very briefly at Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ of God. Now Christ means Messiah. So this is the guy that is going to reign on David's throne forever. You know, Israel had it great under David and Solomon, but this would be even better. I mean, the Messiah is the guy that's going to overthrow Roman oppression. I mean, he's got the best health care plan. You know, I don't know if you are a fan of Obamacare or not, but we got Jesus care in this kingdom. And he can heal whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to, right? And, you know, talk about feeding people. Jesus can take, you know, a fish and a loaf. And obviously we know that he doesn't even need the fish and loaf. But he can feed the masses. So Jesus' meal plan is even better than the manna that was in the desert for the Israelites. And these 12 guys that were following him were hand-picked administrators over his new kingdom, so they thought. But Jesus drops a bomb on them in verses 21 and 22. Let's read Luke 9, 21 and 22. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Now what is the this? That's the thing that Peter just said, that you are the Christ of God. And Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now that was not the plan, (laughs) okay? Now we know it was eternally from from God the plan, but these disciples are going, you're going to do what? And we see in, in Mark and Matthew Look with me in Mark eight thirty one and 32. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. So he's telling them the same thing. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. All right, so Peter just said, You are the Christ of God. And then Jesus says, Well, Now, what's going to happen is I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be killed. And Peter instructs him. He takes him off to the side and says, now, let me let me fix your understanding of God's plan, because this is not it. Do I need to point out how dumb it is to rebuke Jesus? I mean, I hope not. But Peter, even after saying you are the Christ, he has the nerve to rebuke him. Now, who would be dumb enough to rebuke God? Well, let me ask you if you are dumb enough to rebuke God. Now, let me put it this way. When Jesus says to us, here's what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to minister to people and you are supposed to share the gospel. And specifically, you are to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them the stuff I taught you. Do we... Have the nerve to rebuke Jesus? Do we go, well, you know, I understand that conceptually, but let me say that uh, I'm really not gifted in that area, or I'm not super comfortable doing that, or my neighbors all go to church, or whatever your rebuke to Jesus is, 
Do we want to call Peter dumb for rebuking Jesus and then do the same thing? What about forsaking the assembly? If, if the Bible says clearly, which it does, don't forsake the assembly. And we say, well, God, I understand, but, you know, Sunday's my day of rest and, and uh, I, need, I need to rest and I need to recuperate. And, man, I just, you know, are we rebuking God there? Do we, do we actually have a better answer for God? Well, what about reading Scripture? Are we, are we going to take this word that we say, hey, this is the word of God inspired by God given to us so that we can know God and know how to respond to him. And we're going to say, well, God, I know I ought to read it, but it's kind of confusing and I'm pretty busy. So again, we rebuke God after making fun of Peter for doing it. When God speaks, obey instead of argue. And if you don't, here's what Jesus' response is. In Mark 8, 33, he turned and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's harsh, isn't it? Just hang on, it's about to get worse. (laughs) All right, so if you do say to Jesus, you know, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I know I'm supposed to assemble together with people. I know I'm supposed to give sacrificially to the work of the kingdom. I know that I'm supposed to minister to people. I know that I'm supposed to share the gospel with people, but, and then fill in whatever comes after the but. I think Jesus would say to you, you have your head and your mind on the world, the things of the world rather than the things of God, or the things of man rather than the things of God. Back to Luke in Luke nine twenty three through 26. And he said to all, this is Jesus, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And another gospel writer, instead of himself, put his soul. And that's what that means. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now Jesus said, take up your cross. What is a cross? It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your chronic back pain. It's not your job that you don't like. It's not your OCD that you deal with. It's not your spouse. It's not whatever we tend to complain about. A cross is something that kills you. We walk around with little cross necklaces, and that's a good thing because we want to remember the cross and and, and the meaning to Christians. But that would be like us putting an electric chair on our, on our jewelry. I mean, that is an instrument of death. So Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to give up everything, including your life. So please let that soak in for a second. This is really different from God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's really different from invite Jesus into your heart. Or repeat this prayer after me. I really hope you can see the difference. Do you know why churches are filled with lost people who think they're saved? Because we have decided we can improve on this message 
of if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's not very seeker friendly. So what we do is we'd say, well, I would rather Jesus have said, I'll take the cross up so you don't, you don't have to. You can have a blessed and easy life. Now make no mistake, he did take the cross and the hell that went with it so that you wouldn't have to and so that I wouldn't have to. But he also says that following him has to be on his terms, not yours. If you want to be his disciple, it will cost you everything. Is that a price you're willing to pay to follow Jesus? Now, you know the story of the rich young ruler. This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture because it describes exactly what it means to follow Christ. And it shows the difference between the Americanized gospel and the true gospel. The rich young ruler came and he said, Good master, what must I do to be saved? That is an awesome question. That's the right question. And Jesus says, well, uh, keep the commandments. And the guy says, I've done that since I was a youth. Well, obviously he had not done that. He must have missed the Sermon on the Mount because he doesn't understand the law. But he's holding on to an idea of his own righteousness. So he thinks he's righteous. And Jesus, instead of scolding him, instead of correcting him right there, he, he teaches him that he has not kept the whole law. Because he says, okay, I'll tell you what, uh, you just lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And this guy goes, man, I'm, I'm rich. I can't do that. I am not willing to give that up. And so he goes away sad. And Jesus loved him. It said he looked on him with compassion. But Jesus didn't give in on what the gospel is. He didn't say, okay, okay, you can come to me on your terms. I'll make an exception this time. Instead, this guy has to go away because he loves money more than he loves God. By the way, that's the very first commandment. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. And this guy had a God before the real one. And so instead of just rebuking him, Jesus showed him that, no, you have not kept the commandments. But this guy wanted to hold on to his money and he wanted to hold on to his self-righteousness. And Jesus said, you can't hang on to those things and receive the gospel. Now let me ask you, if Jesus said to you, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me, would you do it? Folks, there are some people in here who would say, he's crazy. I'm going to go join the church down the street. So think about what would you do? You can get a lot of people to agree to a false gospel. A false gospel has a crown but no cross. One where Jesus serves you to make your life better, but you don't have to serve and obey him. One where God exists to forgive you. I mean, some folks say, hey, I know what cows are for. Cows are to give me milk. Chickens are to give me eggs. And God is to give me forgiveness. This is basically a match made in heaven. Because he likes to forgive sin. And it just so happens that I like to sin. (laughs) So God and I can get along really well. It's one where you can be a fan of Jesus, but not a follower. Look at what Jesus says. That following him requires. The first thing is deny yourself. Now what does that mean? It really goes back to my definition of repentance. Which is total 
unconditional surrender. That means we don't get to rebuke God. We just get to obey Him. We don't get to talk about obeying Him, consider it for a few years. No, we actually have to do it. I think I've told you this wonderful illustration that Francis Chan gave. He told his daughter, Rachel, he said, Rachel, go clean your room. And then he came back that night and he said, Rachel, did you clean your room? And she said, well, no. But what I did do is I talked about it. And I called some friends and they came over and we had a little small group discussion about what it would be like if I cleaned my room. And, and Daddy, I even learned to say clean your room in Hebrew and in Greek. And Francis Chan's like, did you do what I said though? Well, no. Okay, that's what we do, guys. We get together, we talk about what Jesus says. We talk about what obedience might even look like. We think about it. We send our pastors to learn some Hebrew and Greek so they can really understand what Jesus says. But then the problem is, guys, sometimes we don't follow through and actually do it. Is there an area where the Spirit is currently convicting you of something you need to change? If so, just do it. You have the resources to do it. You have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. So you can't say, yes, the Spirit wants me to do this, but I can't. Because He'll equip you to do it. Now, if there's not a, a thing that the Holy Spirit is working on in you, I suggest you start reading your Bible. <laughs> because if you are reading your Bible, I'm pretty sure there's an area where the Spirit is trying to fix something in you. Is there anything that rivals God in your affections? Is it money or family, including grandkids, possessions, work, recognition, influence, lust? Whatever rivals God in your affections has to go on that cross that Jesus spoke of. Now, no, I don't want you to crucify your family. I want you to crucify your idolatry of your family. Can you identify whether you have an idol? Probably not. Blind spots are called blind spots because we can't see them, right? So let me try to help. Do you give liberally and sacrificially to the church? If not, money may be your idol. Do you skip church? If so, rest or laziness may be your idol. Do you look at internet pornography? If so, lust may be your idol. Do you go to food for security and comfort that you ought to find in Christ in a way that makes you unhealthy and neglect your body? You ever seen a pastor try to walk through Scripture with you while stepping on his own toes? Well, you get to see it today. If so, food may be your idol. So if you're addicted to food or pornography or materialism, do you just declare, all right, that idol is crucified and magically there's no more struggle? Man, I wish, right? I wish. But Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily <laughs> and follow me. You need the power of God given through the indwelling spirit every single day. So how do, you, how do you access that? I mean, we can say it's there, but if you can't get to it, what good does it do you, right? Well, you pray. 
And most of you go, sweet, I got prayer. I, I pray all the time. Okay, no problem. Be accountable to someone. Now, here's where we really, really autonomous uh, American Christians have a little bit of trouble. We say, I don't want anybody in my business. But it helps to be accountable to someone. Read and obey the word. Now, again, the objection there is, well, I don't understand it, or I don't have time, or whatever. But you guys know we do what we want to do, right? Let's, let's be honest about that. Um, I, don't, I don't want to give my wallet to anybody today. But if I walk out of here and some dude with a gun comes up and points it at me and says, your wallet or your life, all of a sudden he has rearranged my priorities. And what I want to do is hand him my wallet. <laughs> okay, So we do what we want to do. You know, I don't like funerals. They're sad. And I'm empathetic. And I, I get sad when other people are sad. But you know what? I, I'll go to a funeral to support the family, right? So we do what we ultimately want to do. So if you want to read the Word, you can read the Word. Let's look more closely at the second requirement for following Jesus. He says, take up your cross. Would you be willing, literally, really, to die for Jesus? Now, if you're not willing to live for him, please don't delude yourself into saying that you'd be willing to die for him. Many of Jesus' followers have indeed died for him. Would you? If you're really going to follow him, you have to be willing to. Are you willing to die to, to your desires for ungodly things? I mean, if Jesus told you, hey, you've got to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me, would you actually do it? If Jesus scraps your plans and gives you new marching orders, do you rebuke him or do you say, yes, sir, and go with it? Do you tell him, no, nah, that's not the plan? <laughs> or do you go, okay, since you said that's the plan, then that's the plan. If he demands radical obedience from you when no one else around you is doing anything remotely radical, are you willing to obey him? By the way, that's what he's doing now. After this sermon, most folks are going to go to lunch and say, man, Steve was kind of exercised today. I don't know what got into him, but uh, what's for lunch? <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're going to do, right? It's what most of us are going to do. If you take this seriously and you go, you know, I actually am going to start leveraging my life, my time, my house, my resources for the expansion of the gospel. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to lead my family in that. If you decide that, you're going to be a weirdo even in the church. Why am I acting like this is such a big deal? Because it's a big deal. That is what separates the gospel according to Jesus from the gospel according to easy believism. These are different gospels. Why do you think Jesus tells potential followers to count the cost? Because there's a cost. <laughs> How much of a cost is there? Everything is the cost. Matthew 13, 45 and 46 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, what did the pearl of great value cost the guy? All that he had. What does the pearl of great price symbolize? Well, we see in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who went in search of pearls. So it cost him all that he had. 
Now you may be thinking, well, hang on now. I thought the gift of forgiveness and redemption was free. Well, it is. You could never pay enough or do enough to earn it. But you have to drop everything you're carrying in order to take this gift. All right, let's imagine that I'm, I'm walking through my life, I'm lost, and I got this huge backpack on full of materialism. And it's about 100 pounds, and I'm struggling under this weight. And then in this hand, I've got this suitcase full of pride. And in this other suitcase, big old heavy suitcase, I have uh, my personal autonomy that I'm so proud of and so, so cherish. And I'm coming down the road, and I get to Jesus. And Jesus says, if I'm the rich young ruler, he says, you've got to give up your self-righteousness and your materialism. And I say, mm, no, not doing it, right? But if I am transformed, if the Holy Spirit takes my heart of stone out of my body, gives me a heart of flesh, makes my blind eyes able to see, then I say, man, I'm attached to this pride. I'm attached to this autonomy. I'm attached to this materialism. But that pearl of great price that you have is more precious than anything I'm carrying. And you set that down, you set it down, you throw that bag back off, and you take that pearl of great price. That's what salvation is. That's what Jesus' version of salvation is, which means the true one. Now let me tell you the American gospel. The American gospel, you're loaded up, you got your materialism, you got your pride, you got your autonomy. You walk up to Jesus, and Jesus says, he's like one of those guys in New York that's trying to pass out those little papers that say hey come to this show or come to this show and he's got a little golden ticket that says heaven on it and he says hey will you take this please and I said well I guess I don't know tell me the deal he says okay here's the deal I'll give this to you if you'll just ask me for it and believe that I'll give it to you and I'd say well yeah I guess I believe you give it to me because here you are trying to give it to me (laughs) so uh, can I have the ticket yeah okay well here take it and I said well I can't because my hands are full The Americanized version of the gospel says, that's okay, I'll just stick it in your coat pocket. He sticks it in there. (laughs) And he says, now, what are you carrying? And I said, well, I got a lot of materialism on my back here. And Jesus goes, if he's the Americanized Jesus, he goes, cool. I I love materialism. As a matter of fact, I can help you with that. I can make you more prosperous if you follow me. Um. If you forward this thing on Facebook, by the end of the month, you'll come into an unexpected amount of cash. The American Jesus is all about forwarding things on Facebook. So he, he goes and he gets around behind my back and he sticks some more stuff into materialism, right? Then he comes, he says, what's this big suitcase? And I said, well, that's my pride. Okay, I like pride. I mean, I love you just the way you are. You are, you are special, you're awesome, and heaven just wouldn't be heaven without you. So let me add some stuff to that pride. So now there's even more in there. He says, what's this? This is my autonomy. And Jesus says, well, I have a wonderful plan for your life. And I said, no, I don't want your plan. I already have my own plan. Well, the Americanized Jesus says, that's okay. Because your plan is my plan. I'm just going to make it more profitable. Now that is the picture of the gospel that a lot of people have been sold And that's why there are a lot of lost people in our churches today. Jesus says, you got to drop everything else if you're going to take that pearl of great price. Now let's look at the final requirement 
which is follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you go where he goes and you do what he does. You imitate the master. Now, we spent last week looking at what Jesus does and what he sends out his disciples to do or his apostles, right? What he did was he served people, he ministered to people, and then he told them the gospel. And then he took his apostles and he said, guys, I'm going to give you the power to heal and the power to cast out demons. And I want you to go serve people, minister to people, and preach the gospel. And they did. And they came back. And then he said, cool, now let's go to Bethsaida. And he began again to minister to the people and preach the gospel. So if we're going to follow him and we're going to step in his footsteps, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be ministering to people and sharing with them the gospel. Do you know why churches die? Because people get inside the walls of churches and they say, hey, I'm comfortable here. I know what I'm supposed to do here. I'm supposed to come in and we're going to have some announcements and we're going to sing and we're going to pray and then we're going to sing some more and then this dude's going to talk for 30 minutes and then we're going to go to lunch. We're comfortable in here. We know what to do. Now what we're not comfortable with is going out there. But the only reason we come in here is to be equipped to go out there. Churches die because of apathy. Apathy kills way more churches than persecution ever has or ever will. How much does this matter? (laughs) Am I making a big deal out of nothing? I mean, heaven is heaven, right? If you get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, you're still good, right? Well, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, please listen to this. Luke 9, 24 through 26, Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus is not talking about radically obedient Christians and nominal Christians Jesus is talking about saved people and lost people. There's a radical difference between the gospel according to Jesus and the gospel of easy believism. It's not a small difference. It is the difference between heaven and hell. That's why this is a big deal. Are you ready to put down, to crucify your pride Are you ready to crucify your materialism? Are you ready to crucify your autonomy or your lust or your whatever it is that is a hang-up, whatever is competing with God? Are you willing to take up that cross daily and crucify yourself? Because look, these things don't have a hold on a crucified person. Because you know what a crucified person is? He's dead. Have you ever seen a materialistic dead person? No, they don't care. They don't care about their stuff. They don't care how much money's in the bank. They don't care about material stuff at all. Have you ever seen a prideful dead person? No, pride has no power over a dead man. A crucified man can hang on a cross 
and be mocked and scorned and he doesn't care at all because he's dead. Have you ever seen a dead man hanging on to his autonomy? No, he can't go anywhere. (laughs) He's just going to lay there, right? So when you are crucified, you don't have these things taking over your life anymore. They don't compete with you. The Bible says, for I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. That is what Jesus is calling us to. Now, once we drop those things, once we crucify those things, only then can we accept the free gift of grace. Are you a believer that's wasted a lot of time and energy rebuking God rather than obeying God? If so, are you ready to change that? Now, let me warn you again. If you decide to radically follow Jesus, you're going to be weird. You're going to be weird even in the church because most people are going to go, you know, man, he was on on something today. What are we eating for lunch? That's the last time they'll think about it. But if Jesus is convicting you, if the Holy Spirit is grabbing a hold of you and saying, you can live differently. You can live a life completely surrendered to me. You can quit sort of hanging on and you can dive in. You can be crucified with Christ so that Jesus will live through you. And that's going to be a radical change for some of us. Church people, for the most part, are really, really, really comfortable in their apathy. You know that's true. So if this message has challenged you, if what Jesus said is required to follow him, and again, not to be a super Christian, just to be a Christian. If that's challenged you, what do we do? Will you decide to leverage your job, your money, your position, your friendships, everything you have for the expansion of the kingdom of God? Minister to people and share the gospel. You cannot be a member of this church and say that, well, I would, but I don't know how. Let me tell you why you can't say that as a member of this church. Because I will teach you if you will talk to me and ask me to. I can teach you to share the gospel. Now, some of you already know and you've been doing it longer than I've been alive, and I realize that. But for you who don't know how to, how to share the gospel or who feel uncomfortable, I can and will teach you. I can show you that using your home, you can invite people in and form relationships that build bridges for the gospel to go across. And you may say, well, there's a pandemic. I know. Don't worry about it. (laughs) We'll get a vaccine and then we need to be the church again. We need to invite people in and leverage ourselves, our time, our money, our house to build bridges of relationships so that the gospel can cross those bridges. Now, here's where you get to decide. You either say, by God's grace, I will do that. I will lead my family in doing that if the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of you today. Or you say, I don't have time for that. Or that's not really for me. Or whatever the excuse may be. But you do have to choose one of those things. 